0: The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Next on Life Today, Allie Worthington presents a woman's guide to fighting fear, wrestling worry and overcoming anxiety.
1: And I believe fear and anxiety is this tool that the enemy uses to take us out. He wants us distracted and depressed and derailed. Even when things aren't bad, we're worried about when the next shoe is gonna drop. And and it takes our eyes off God and how He provides for us and takes care of us and keeps us focused on, on just surviving.
2: Welcome to Life Today, I'm Randy Robinson. I'm joined by Sheila Walsh as always. And you know, one of our friends, dear friends of the ministry is Christine Kane.
3: Yep, love her so much.
2: Started the wonderful organization, Propel. And we've got another fine part of Propel with us today.
3: Actually, I've been looking forward to meeting this woman for some time because so many of my friends just talk about how amazing she is and what a leader. And so it's a great honor to have her here. Will you please help me welcome Allie Worthington? You know, it's funny that I've met Christine the very first time here at Live Today. We were both guests on the same program and we both had funny accents. You know, she's Australian and I'm Scottish and there was something that I just captured about, in the first five minutes, that she was a passionate person. But the first time that she told me about you, she told me the same thing, that you ha- you're a passionate person and that you have tremendous vision. Talk about a little bit about what the last few years have been like for you.
1: Um, well, my husband and I have five sons. So five boys. Five boys, nine to 19.
3: Mm. Love so that. So that,
1: that's my big claim to fame, that my husband and I have survived it. <laughs> <laughs> and I've had the great honor of working for Christine. And about five years ago, my husband, who is the rock of the family, the the runner in our family, he came down with a mystery illness. And it turned out to be a very severe form of adult onset asthma. Mm which for him, he would go a few weeks and be healthy. And then one of the boys would bring home a virus and it would turn into bronchitis and pneumonia and a fight just to get enough oxygen. Oh my God! So for years, we battled that. We battled the fear of what was going to happen next, the fear of when he would get sick again. And it was about two years ago that Christine came, wonderful Christine, called me early on a Saturday morning at 8 a.m. And she said, Allie, I need to talk to you. Sit down. And when she calls, you listen. And she said, I had just released my first book. She said, with this book, you're taking territory away from the enemy. And I'm calling you today to tell you that the enemy is coming after you. He's coming after Mark and your boys. And I, being the mature woman I am, burst into tears. Of course. And said, Chris, I haven't told you this, but Mark is so sick. We're so afraid. Everything's falling apart. And she said, I know that's why I'm calling you, now sit down and listen to me. And she encouraged me to to stop hiding out from the storms of life, to stop letting the fear of what was gonna happen next steal my joy and encouraged me to fight. And so it started this journey in my life to learn what it meant to fight back against fear.
3: Because your book is called Fierce Faith, A Woman's Guide to Fighting Fear, Wrestling Worry and Overcoming Anxiety. I can't think of a message that's more applicable in the culture that we're living in today. Mm-hmm. When you talk about overcoming fear about your husband Mark's health, is this an ongoing situation or is it resolved?
1: Um, just in the last six to eight months, he has gone into full remission. No medication whatsoever, no, no treatments for him. He is right now skiing. Oh, so, that's at, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> was on a trip skiing. Just, um, if this was a year ago, we never could have imagined it but it went on straight for four years where it was touch and go all the time. Even with great doctors and medication, we weren't sure if he was gonna have enough oxygen.
2: So you're facing a tough situation as it is, right? I mean, it's tough enough just raising a bunch of boys like that, I'm sure. But then with that situation, it, it, it is tough, let's just mm-hmm. be honest. It was. What did the fear do? I mean, I, I know, I think I know the answer, but how much worse did the fear itself make an already tough situation.
1: Well, the fear would steal my joy when nothing was wrong. Wow. The fear, I, I kind of consider fear, worry, and, and anxiety this big mass of emotional turmoil. You know, experts break it into different things, but it just means that, that even when things aren't bad, we're worried about when the next shoe is going to drop. Yeah. And, and it takes our eyes off God and how he provides for us and takes care of us and keeps us focused on on just surviving. And I believe fear and anxiety is this tool that the enemy uses to take us out. He wants us distracted and depressed and
3: derailed. Mm. So when Christine sits down and with that kind of, that's a heavy, weighty yeah. message. Um, and yet I know that there would be a lot that res- resonated with you thinking, I know this is right. Where do you, begin? I'm thinking of our viewers watching right, right now who are struggling with fear. You know, I've heard from so many of them recently who are, you know, in situations where they don't know, it's the what-ifs, mm-hmm. you know, that are really hard to cope with. How did you begin to step out of a place of fear into a place of faith?
1: Well, when I hung up the phone that day, I thought, well, I don't even know what fighting looks like. Mm. You know, I, yeah. I, I had never even admitted to myself that I was overcome by fear. I thought I was just dealing with a tough situation. Yeah. And what made matters worse is I realized that I was blaming myself for being afraid. Because we know all through scripture it says, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, I am with you. So I was not only afraid, I was heaping self-condemnation on myself for being afraid. Hmm. Because I thought, do I not have enough faith? Do I not love Jesus enough? What am I doing wrong? And I had this realization that to overcome fear we have to battle on two levels. The physical and the spiritual, just like we live in the physical and the spiritual. So we attack fear through, I learned prayer and worship for me. Uh, or my strong tools. But then we needed practical tools. Like when you wake up in the morning and you have that ball of anxiety in your stomach, what do you actually do? So combining the, the truth that we find in scripture, the weapon that we have of worship and prayer with really practical day by day tools, that's how I found my way out.
3: So describe what does that look like for you though when you say prayer and worship? Mm-hmm. Um, I got a question the other day on my Facebook page a woman saying, can you only worship on a Sunday? Like is worship something that you go to? What did worship begin to look like for you?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, for me, it all clicked one day. I was, I was going to the pharmacy to pick up medicine for my husband who was very, very ill. And I got in my car, turned on the ignition, and noticed that my hands were wet. And then I noticed that my shirt was wet and I had been crying. And I, oh. I didn't know how long I had been crying because you know, when you're, when you're a mother or you're in a tough situation, you just keep going. right Uh, you're taking care of everybody and what i would normally do is turn on the ignition and drive home and jump back into life but but that day i turned on the ignition and turned on my favorite worship songs and i just started singing Mm i i prayed i said lord this is terrible i i need you to help me i don't i don't know what to do i need you to help me walk through this season with grace i need you to help me be strong enough to survive this And I I sang, and I sang, and I sang that day in the pharmacy parking lot. I sang that I was no longer a slave to fear. That's a huge song Uh, for you, isn't it? So, so strong. (laughs) That God was a good, good father, that Mm -hmm. he was an anchor in my storm. And I literally sang from my spirit until my body started believing it.
3: Mm. I love that. I have a playlist on my phone. Yeah. And when I get into the car and I'm driving to the airport to travel or I'm driving up here to the studio, you know, some days, you know, I struggle with depression and some days are bad days and that's what I do. Mm -hmm. You know, whether I feel like it or not, I put on that. And when I get to, you know, it, it just, it's reminding yourself of what's always true no matter what be, might be true for a moment. There is mm-hmm. power in our worship.
1: There's so, we become warriors yeah. when we use worship for our battle. When my kids are off at school, I will put on my, my earbuds and I will walk around my house and sing. And I sing terribly. <laughs> I sing so badly I will scare the dog behind the couch. <laughs> but I will sing until I feel better because that's, that. that's sometimes what I need. Um, some, t- some days when I don't know what to pray, I'll start by singing and then something in the spirit breaks through and all of a sudden, I know what to pray, and I'm ready to talk to that's Jesus. That's so
3: great. Mm-hmm. So great.
2: You rightly descri- describe it as a battle in yourself right. as a warrior. One of the keys to winning any battle is to identify the enemy. That's
1: right.
2: And in your book, you identify some of these enemies. Give us a little bit of an idea. One of them I know intimately, and that's, that's the brooding, right? But tell us some, some of these things that, so we can know what to look for so we can know how to battle it.
1: I call them the five bad Bs, because if it all starts with the same letter, we can remember it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And these are the five unhealthy ways that most everyone uses to to combat fear and anxiety and worry. The first one's busyness, where we stay so busy, we just don't have time to think about it. Um, The second one is blame. Um, if you've been around children for any amount of time, you see blame when someone will do something <laughs> and my brother made me do it. Um, but we also do that when, when we're afraid. We look for something outside of ourselves to blame. Um, Bench and I'm not talking about a healthy Netflix binge, but... <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> <yeah. Thank goodness. laughs> No, um, or, or watching a favorite show. Um, binging, when we're trying to numb ourselves from fear and anxiety, looks like it can be exercising too much, mm. eating too much, shopping too much, whatever it is that we're using to try to, to numb ourselves. For me, um, it's the internet. Mm. So I went through a period of life where I would go to bed every night and I would use my phone and scroll through Pinterest or Facebook, and I would stay up late at night until literally the phone would hit me on the face sometimes <laughs> when I fell asleep. asleep right, right. And it wasn't because I was having fun. I realized, I think the Lord revealed to me, it's actually because when my head hit the pillow, I would worry.
0: Mm.
1: So mm. I was numbing myself through mm. using the Internet. So I realized mm. I, had to, I had to deal with what was upsetting yeah. me. Yeah. And then the fourth bad B is Barry. So that means we avoid it, uh, we deny. Yeah. I, was, I was a big denier. So until Christine called me that day, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have even admitted to myself that I was afraid. <laughs> And the last one is what you talked about, which is brood. That's, that's mine. Yeah. Um, and it, it's another word for rumination. Mm-hmm. Um, and rumination comes from the way cows eat, which is kind of <laughs> gross. But they will they'll eat grass and they'll chew it up and swallow it and throw it up it's again over Rebecca. and over. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do with our I mean, thoughts. Oh, yeah. we, we throw up these yeah. scary thoughts oh, yeah. um, over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. You talk about something that's something we've talked about as a family here at Life, and that's Social media rejection. Yes, I mean, I think I think our anxiety um, has increased as social media has become so hugely popular. How do you see it impacting how we worry?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. You're right here. I'm I'm a huge research nerd. So here's this fascinating thing that I learned researching for Fierce Faith. The same areas in our brain, scientists have done MRIs, the same areas that light up when we're um, in physical pain light up when we feel rejected. Wow. Yeah. So our brain doesn't know the difference between feeling rejected by someone on, on social media when all your friends are at lunch and you didn't get invited. Our brains don't know the difference between that and a literal punch in the gut. And because we have phones with us all the time and everything that everyone does is documented, there, there's a possibility to be rejected many times a day on social oh, yeah. media. It's, it's very difficult, and I'm personally thankful it wasn't around when I was a teenager. <laughs>
2: oh, I know. Can you
1: imagine? I can't.
2: Yeah. Have you seen this thing? I know it's a bit of a sidetrack. Have you seen this thing called speed dating? Speed dating? Yeah, it's for single people, and they get together, and they have these quick little dates. It's like... If, 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 you know, being rejected once a week isn't enough, you can get rejected 30 a times in night. right? <laughs> bang, bang, bang. But, but I think yeah. you're, you're exactly right because it, it's, it's a little bit human nature. We just, we tend to do this. How do we, once we've identified mm-hmm. the, the thing that's causing the fear or feeding the fear or, or falsely trying to comfort us when we're, when yeah. we're fear, how do we go about battling it?
1: Well for social media and for rejection especially I've had to put rules on myself to say I can only look at Instagram and Facebook and those other things when I am emotionally healthy mm-hmm. like if if one of my kids is sick and I'm cleaning the carpet, I don't need to go look at vacation photos, <laughs> you know.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but it's really interesting. Another really interesting bit of research is um, they found when when we passively scroll through social media, that's when we can start comparing and feeling worse about ourselves. Mm. But when we actively engage by liking or commenting, mm. just like we would in a conversation, that protects us from that subconscious comparison that can happen.
3: Interesting. Because mm-hmm. one of the things that I th- sometimes we can we feel like we're more connected as a culture, but just having 5,000 followers doesn't mean we have 5,000 friends. Those people exactly. don't really know us. Mm-hmm. You talk about, um, you have a whole chapter where you talk about F FOMO. Mm-hmm. I had to look up and see what that meant, I should ask my son, but it's fear of missing out. Right? How mm-hmm. is that something that impacts us? Well,
1: like I mentioned earlier, everything that we do is documented, so you can just imagine this feeling of turning on your, your phone and seeing all your friends out at lunch, oh, so or all of, your, all of your children's friends out together. That's something that's really difficult as a parent of a teenager. Why didn't they invite him? Story. Everyone's together, mm-hmm. so-and-so's not invited. It's very, very difficult. And it's even causing some people not to make plans with other people because they're waiting to see if something better is gonna come mm-hmm. along, if they're gonna miss out on something.
3: How do you, as a mom of five boys, how do you help them navigate this crazy world?
1: I think the best thing that we can do is listen to them sometimes. Sometimes as as mothers, as parents, we want to jump in and solve the problem, but sometimes it's just important to be there and sit with them and say, I'm so sorry that happened. Mm -hmm. And and just be there with them when it's tough.
2: Yeah, parenting can be a real challenge. Mm -hmm. I, I know for me, one of the biggest areas that I've fought fear is that fear of something happening to my children.
1: Absolutely. And and
2: I think there's a level of that 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 is godly and healthy because we love, we care, you know, we want the best for them. But that can also, I think, come with some unhealthy brooding, you know, uh, worry. And if you're not careful, that can really start to do some damage.
1: I became an expert in parental fear from the time I was first pregnant. Mm. Um, I actually, our first son, we bought a sensor for under his crib mattress, so if he stopped breathing, an alarm would go off. Well, but when your baby wakes up in the middle of the night, you would just go pick up your baby and forget to turn off the alarm and scare yourself to death. Um, so, (laughs) So I've done it all and finally having so many children I think helped me realize I just don't have control. Yeah. God. Um, formed them they are they're fearfully and wonderfully made he has a plan for all my children's life and I had to give up control to his plans Mm -hmm. because he knows everything that's going to happen
2: yeah and if we love our children and we do how much more does he love them exactly right there's some comfort there
3: and you talked to Ali in the book about fear of never measuring up Um, I think that one of the things I feel so strongly about is if we as the body of Christ are on the planet at, at this point the world should be different. Right. Like, things should be different because we are here. But so often, because we compare ourselves to what somebody else is doing, like she's a better speaker or, or she makes b- better cookies for the kids, how do we navigate that fear of never measuring up and simply show up?
1: Well, I developed this fierce faith mantra um, because it's easy to remember. I put it on a Post-it note. I use it all the time. and It's four simple sentences. It's um, show up, be real, love others, and don't quit.
3: Okay, but repeat that again. That was Um, good.
1: Show up, be real, love others, and don't quit.
3: That's good.
1: So we've all heard the statement, showing up is is half the battle. And it's trite, but it's trite because it's true. So often we get nervous or we let fear make us want to not show up. And we we take ourselves out before we ever get a chance to do what we're created to do. So for me, it's just a reminder whenever I'm nervous, whenever it would be easier to stay home and not put myself out there that God created me for a reason and I'm going to show up. And same thing with be real. For most of my life, I would go into any situation and kind of get a read of the room, you know, take the temperature (laughs) and then figure out what people wanted from me and literally turn myself inside out to try to be that for other people. But God creates us with passions and gifts and unique abilities and it's not by accident. Mm -hmm. He wants us to be the people that he created us to be, to show up in the situation and to be who we really are. Um, And of course, love others. As Christians, there's nothing more important than loving others. We should, we should be the people known for our love and then simply don't quit. Mm-hmm. There is, for me, I think for years I had this false belief that if I was doing what God's will was for my life, if I was doing everything he wanted me to do, that it would be easy mm-hmm. and that it wouldn't be difficult, that I would just show up at, at the field and throw some seeds down and I'd have an orchard. But God revealed to me that so often in my calling in my life, He'll call me to a certain field, but it's going to be full of brush, and the dirt's going to be in terrible condition. And he wants me to clear off that brush and grab a plow and then prepare to sow the seeds. Mm -hmm. So it's just a reminder to me that until God calls me away from something that he's called me to, I'm just not supposed to quit. Mm -hmm. It's
2: Mm -hmm. great. It's a great book. It is, and I think people should get it, especially if that's a struggle. And I know it is for a lot of people, but there's something we've been doing for a long time, We haven't quit doing it, we're not gonna quit, and we need you to show up. Would you watch this for just a moment with Sheila and I?
0: Almost one child in five in Angola does not live to see the age of five. This malnutrition clinic is a place of last resort in trying to save children's lives. When this administrator was asked about the number of children's deaths at his clinic, the answer was shocking. Malnutrition is an underlying cause in most of these children's deaths. That's why the work of these men is never-ending, digging small graves.
4: Behind me you can see a grave digger. He's digging a grave, just a small grave, the size for a child. Here today they've pre-dug more than 10 graves already and they will just keep digging grave after grave after grave. These are graves that are, have no name yet. But the children that will go into these graves have a name. They're a life, a precious life. That means the world to their mother, to their family. You see, you say, how do you pre dig graves? How do they know? They know. They know their children will die because of the ravaged drought in this area and how impacted these villages have been because of the fact that All around here, village after village, there are families that cannot provide enough food for their children. When you act, we're able to keep a child out of one of these graves, but your silence, your inaction, means another child filling another grave, means another mother whose heart is broken.
2: It breaks my heart to look at all those graves waiting to be filled. There's something else that's waiting to be filled, and that's a bowl. I'm asking you to join us in filling bowls so we can fill stomachs so they don't fill graves. Sheila, it's easy to do, and it's profound in its impact. I know you've seen it.
3: I'll never forget the last trip to Angola and walking into a malnutrition clinic and watching these precious little ones who, it took every effort just to take the next breath, Um, watching their skin literally peeling off, their hair turning a strange color because of lack of protein. And when we were there the last time, we watched a mom who brought in her little one that literally had moments left to live. And the clinic didn't have an incubator, so this little baby was wrapped up in tin foil to try and restore some body heat. And it was absolutely heartbreaking. And and then, but the thing that was amazing to me was the next day, we went to another village where we already had mission feeding in place. And the children that I saw there that were lining up to get this bowl of food, they were, it was night and day. They were the way children should be. They were laughing and talking and playing. And it made me realize that so little can do so much. We can't all change the world, but we can change the world for somebody. I mean, literally just for $30. Do you know that $30 could provide food for three months for three children? I mean, that's nothing. If you go with your a friend to a movie, you, you blow more than that. But this will literally change a life. And I have walked by these little graves. In fact, the last time I was there, we were filming, and then I said, oh, hang on, guys, we need to quit and we had to walk away because a family was arriving with their little one to fill one of those graves. This doesn't have to happen. If we're the body of Christ on the planet at this time, this should not be happening. And it's not a burden for us to do, it's a privilege. What a joy that we get to be the answer to some mother who's on her knees right now saying, please, Lord God, will you send somebody to help? And Randy, we can do it.
2: Yeah, we are the answer to their prayers. You are the answer to their prayers. When you fill that bowl, you fill their stomachs, you fill them with the love of God. It's so easy. Go to the phone right now. Please, do the best you can. Go online and give. $30, $50, $100 feeds three, five, ten children for three whole months. We've got some gifts we want to spiritually nourish you as well, so request those when you call. But most of all, know that you can have a profound impact on someone's life. You can save a life. Join us today as we reach around the world with arms of love and feed these beautiful
0: children in the name of Jesus. In impoverished and drought-stricken areas of Africa, children are suffering. The need is great and without food, they face severe malnutrition, even death. With your support, Life's Mission Feeding Outreach can save lives by feeding and caring for children in the hardest hit areas of Angola, Mozambique, and South Sudan. With previous reserves gone and Mission Feeding helping in areas with severe crop failure, we urgently need to replenish our food supplies to reach 400,000 children who are counting on us. Your life-saving gift of 30, dollars 50, or $100 will help feed and care for three, five, or 10 children for three full months. And with your gift of any amount, we'll send you Proverbs Power Successful Communication. This powerful CD series, along with study guide featuring Stephen K. Scott, unveils the secrets to incredible wisdom found only in the book of Proverbs. This series will give you the tools to transform your relationships in life. With your gift of $100 or more, request the complete Proverbs Power Library, featuring five power-packed sessions that include the power of vision, breaking through mediocrity, and much more. Finally, with your gift of $1,000 or more to help feed and care for 100 children, be sure to request the Bridge of Faith framed canvas print by Thomas Kincaid. Please call, write, or make your secure gift online today.
4: Beautiful children, and they're lining up because of love. Not just food, they're lining up because of love. And I just thank God for His love, and then I thank God for the love that you express, It is the love of God. For all these children, Betty is here right now, and she's serving up the soup.
1: You know, we've seen lots of lines over in the States. Kids lined up for games, kids lined up for parks, kids lined up to go to a movie. These lines are different. These kids are lined up for food, for life. Won't you join with us? These are the kind of lines that really count. These children need our help. They need need someone to make a good choice for them, and that's for life.
3: Please join with us and help us with the mission feeding. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. If the phone lines are busy, please keep calling. We can change the world. And for any gift at all that you send in, we'll be happy to send you Ali's book, Fierce Faith, a Woman's Guide to Fighting Fear, and I think a man maybe too. Fighting Absolutely. Fear, Wrestling Worry, and Overcoming Anxiety. It's a great book. So Ali, thank you for writing it. It's awesome. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. You
1: will help thank you, you thank Ali.
3: And thank you for being with us. All of you joining us here on Life Today, every
2: day. We thank you so much.
0: And uh, so Gary was wrong. I wasn't a millionaire in five years. I was a millionaire in two and a half. Proverbs Power with Stephen Scott next week. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.